All right, guys, episode 27, Leading by the Book with Chris and Tim. We are back, and immediately, immediately before I hit record here, Tim was lamenting um, how, <laughs> how he's a risk manager was... that is misunderstood. Now, there is no lamentation going on. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, I might be so arrogant uh, to to say that I'm high on the self-awareness scale. Uh, and, and, and I think w- one thing that I just recognize is uh, I, I'm a risk manager. Like it's my, my wife, actually, she jokes that she calls me her actuary. I'm always looking when we go, we go for a walk with my kids and I'm seeing all the ways that, that somebody could die. You know, you know, it's like, funny. Okay, I had that be same con- moment this morning. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just what I do. Right. And so I'm a risk manager. And so, you know, I, I, th- I think about, I think about things like, well, like we were on a walk this morning and I think about things like I grabbed my wife by the arm as the walk sign flipped to the, you know, we've got the, some, some of them say walk, walk, but we've got the little, little man that flashes and, um, by our house and and I grabbed my wife by the arm right as it flips. I said, don't be the first one to step into the street. Well, that's because awkward of, if it's just the two of you and you got a little bit of a standoff there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it just, I, I always wait for it to say walk. And then I look to make sure there's no cars blowing through the light. And then I walk. Oh, sure. Well, my wife sees it's about to turn to walk and she starts walking into the street. And I'm like, no, I mean, so it's not that like, I don't think she's actually going to get hit by a car, but I'm a risk manager. Like that's what I do. And so, so anyway, so, so she and I this morning were talking about, um, uh, she, she and I this morning, we're, we're, we're just talking about where things are going yeah, in the economy. And, uh, I, I made a comment to her, um, Hey, do we have four months worth of food which by the way chris just told me that he has a year's worth of food so that's i'm just gonna go raid his house i guess but well this all started because uh, i was mad that that you're still self-quarantining away from me so we can't record in the same room yet you're oh, going yes, to costco that's right yes i'm gonna go to costco um because we want to go stock up on some groceries i mean we've had a decent amount but we don't have four months worth maybe maybe we do uh, but wouldn't probably wouldn't be comfortable nonetheless so we're gonna go to costco and so um so i told chris i said well you don't want to know why i'm gonna go to costco it's because we're gonna go stock up on on food and groceries because you know the, the, there's just just weird stuff happening in the economy and um you know there was the article that came out uh, that i read just just the other day maybe it was yesterday about you know tyson shutting down the pork plant uh, because of the coronavirus, there's, there's, um, you know, uh, uh, another beef plant in West West Texas uh, that a friend was telling us about that um, uh, that that's also shutting down. They're having complications because of uh, the virus, and so, you know, in 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 you know, there's there's issues around, um, uh, you know, just demand shock in various markets the oil market which was super interesting this week you know oil went negative for the first time it's crazy um i was actually on the phone with a banker when it was happening um 
and uh, we were just we're just watch we watched this thing go from like in the course of our phone call go from like twelve bucks to five bucks to to a dollar to to zero to oh my gosh it just went negative it was just crazy but so anyway so these demand shocks um, I really think you know they could potentially maybe there's two the way I described it to my wife maybe there's two suppliers each supplier. You know, I'm pulling this out of the air. Has to do a million dollars in revenue to to keep their doors open. Uh, well, you know, in in when demand drops fifty percent, they're both doing five hundred thousand. They think they both have to go out of business. Uh, that maybe they both go out of business, and now their uh, their buyers uh, for for those suppliers have to go find other suppliers and so there could be these gaps you know where something happened so so i think about these things all the time because i'm a risk manager but i but i here here we come into the bemoaning uh part uh, where i i sometimes i feel uh like you know i'm a bit misunderstood uh Ren, when i look at things like that i say okay there's a risk how do I hedge against that risk in a way that doesn't commit me um, to go all in on that? Because I truly believe it's what you, it's it's what you don't know that you don't know that can hurt you. Uh, but you, you nonetheless, these things that we think oh, that that could be a possibility. Here's something that I could do that really wouldn't hurt me. I could stock up on some groceries, right? So if nothing happens, no big deal. There's no uh, doesn't matter. No, there's no downside. And so I think of that kind of thing all the time. And it's funny when I talk to to friends and family and stuff like that about these things. And they ask me, you know, what do you usually starts with? What do you think? What are you doing? And and then um, in 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 most cases, it actually ends up with uh, you're a doomsdayer, you're a conspiracy theorist. No, you're wrong. And I'm like, well, Okay, that isn't really helping me hone my thinking uh, about the direction I'm going. It's you're not really offering me a different, a different way to think uh, about these things. And frankly, the only reason I do these things is just there's no downside. Well, it's Warren What's, and Warren and Charlie's first rule: don't lose money. The second rule: see rule one. You know, eliminate your downside. <laughs> and, and you know the problem. The problem with all of this, and, and for those of us with spouses, like you and me, we probably see this a lot. I drive my wife, and I guess I'm going to have to put the explicit tag up here, batshit insane because <laughs> she, she thinks I'm being negative about things. And I'm actually, I'm not negative. In fact, I'm very optimistic about things. But I am going to ensure that I have predicted or at least prepared for every foreseeable downside so that I can enjoy myself and enjoy every conceivable upside. You know, it's, you know, good, good old James Mattis, our former um, defense secretary, used to say, you know, be nice to everybody and have a plan to kill them. <laughs> you know, it's a <laughs> li- little bit of a, of a dramatic uh, depiction there. But the point is, I am going to look and see every single way this thing can go sideways. And once I have prepared for that, my gosh, life becomes easy. This is really enjoyable. Right. So, right. One thing you said, though, that, that did stick out is, you know, you say, oh, your friends think you're a doomsdayer or whatever. Well, first of all, I don't think you're a doomsdayer. I, I think you, you analyze and you prepare things. But I do get fearful that in a world that is increasingly polarized, and 
now we've got a pandemic that is affecting everybody. And of course, you know, because we have to, it's become political party versus political party. And in doing that, because we, we live in these social media echo chambers where we can surround ourselves with just people that think like us, I right. think we've eliminated the ability to talk to people in a way that, that supports critical thought. And what I mean by that is sort of collaborative problem solving. You throw things out there. Does this make sense? No. You, know, you think of the way kids learn and, and the way kids play. They sort of learn by, like, you know, think of their building, you know, house out of blocks or if they put it up, it falls over. Oh, that doesn't work. Now I'm going to try to structure it this way. As an adult, it's really nice to have somebody that you can talk to that way and to work things out. But because of these social media echo chambers, it's now about being right rather than it is about finding the truth. And I think, I don't know, I don't know what it's like for a lot of people, but I know um, as, as a guy and with a lot of the guys that, that we're friends with, it's sort of lonely because we don't have a lot of people that we can really talk to about those things or work through those things with. And it's, it's, it's easy for some to say, oh, you're doomsday, or I'm not, I'm not going to talk about this. Well, no, let's, let's work through this problem. Let's solve it. And I, don't know, it's, I think it just puts us all in a little bit of a bad place when we can't think critically like that. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I prefer mo most of the conversations that I really enjoy are, are ones where people actually think differently than me. And in their difference of the way they're thinking, it's it's changing mine or it's pushing me further into, well, I, I think I understand where they're coming at from this perspective, but I still think I still think this is wrong. And I and I truly think our even our own thinking is a process of discovery uh, to where it it takes some digging. And we um, you know, we know. A lot of the science of the brain, you know, we know things intuitively, uh, and we're we're like backwards rational to where, you know, we know and feel something, and then we need to back into here's why I feel that way, um, rather than this is the true picture, and that's causing the feeling. It works the other way, and and um, I think if we if if we can dig into our reason for thinking to discover what it is we we truly believe and think i think we can hone it we can't you, it's it's very very difficult to change somebody's thinking but if you share what you're thinking and i share what i'm thinking we can both understand our own ways of thinking a little bit better have we gotten intellectually lazy i think so i, I think we have and i think a part of it is because we have so much information available at our disposal. And actually, I got into this conversation the other day with, um, with Aaron, a friend of ours. And he loves the time that we live in right now with the technological advancement. And, and he's such a big thinker. He, he loves that. And I'm going to be honest with you. I would love to go back in time and be alive 70 or 80 years ago. Um, one, I like the pace of life. It's a little slower. But you know, we had to explore things more. When information wasn't at our disposal, we had to form a hypothesis. And then we had to go get the old encyclopedia off the shelf. But there was more of a process that allowed us to better formulate thought and think more critically. Because we have so much information and we just plug things into Google, we, we, we just get lazy. We just short-circuit the whole process and what it takes to master a critical thought in our head. And we, we don't go deep enough. And we've shortchanged ourselves with, you know, as always, we have these things that are amazing at our disposal. You know, technology's made our life so good, but there's always, always a flip side 
to these things. And I think that's what we've seen with critical thought. Even even with kids, I mean, the frustration level and the way kids get frustrated now, it's so much quicker because they don't have to work to get these answers. You know, and I, I even see it with my own kids and they're only three. And immediately it's like you just, you don't do something right away and the I can't frustration comes out. And it's like, oh my gosh, heaven forbid you have to work for something a little bit. But it's the same way with our thoughts. And the best thoughts we have are the ones that we have to that we have to work harder at, the ones that get challenged. But if we're surrounded by people that just say, oh, yeah, that's that's true. You think this way politically? Well, you're absolutely right. And if somebody doesn't think that way, then you know, screw them. Well, that, that does nothing for anybody. And in fact, the people that really lose in that equation are not the other people that you're saying are stupid, but it's you yourself because you haven't haven't given root to to the real heart of the issue. You know, we focus so much on common sense. We, we hear our politicians say this all the time, well, we need a common sense reform, or common sense is or com- We don't need common sense, because common sense is not common at all. In fact, it vacillates dramatically from one person to the next. What we need is logic, because logic is very black and white, but we've gotten totally away from logic and, and, and really forming these truly logical opinions, because we've become an entirely emotionally driven society. And that's that's got to have ramifications down the road right I, you know i think i think part of the trouble and, and and i sort of agree with you i don't know that i would go um backwards because i like having access to all information that I have access to and i'm 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 a bit lazy myself if i had to go read a dozen books to understand something that i can google in 15 seconds now i probably would stop trying um, it's just, it's just not, not my personality to, to dig that much, but when the information's readily available to where I can go, I can go access it. I can go think about it. You probably notice this in the way I work too, um, just in, in you and I working together. Um, I cut off a lot of distractions and, and to, to me, the way I think about things, I think the distractions are the issue not necessarily the access to the information that's the issue. But I, I got I got to interrupt here. So here is a daily conversation between me and Tim. Do you see my email? No. No. My assistant checks my email. Did you get my phone call? My ringer's been off for two years. Did you see my Slack message? I, my notifications are off. Well, I mean, so that brings that brings up another another topic. I I think we've gone from you know, the information age really to the, the attention age. Um, all the information uh, is available. Mm-hmm. You, you can get it. It's, it's the ability to control your attention, to put it on the, the appropriate information to make the right decisions that I think is a true value rather than, I just, I, I have a very difficult time being distracted by every fidget of email text message you know, um, Slack message, um, you know, news alert, uh, all, all these different things, social media alert, uh, notifications. Um, I, I, I get very distracted by those things. And, um, I just prefer if I want the information to be able to go get it. I like that. Um, but then to control my attention, to digest that information and to think about that information uh, in, in just in different ways. 
Um, and then I find that once I have that information and I've developed my own thoughts on it, I like having discussions with people who, who have developed their own thoughts. Um, and even like a lot of times those quote unquote discussions are, are not, not even live discussions, uh, which is somewhat, probably sounds somewhat odd. There's very, there's, I have a, there's a handful of friends that I talk to about different things just because we can bounce ideas off of each other and, and think through things. But a lot of this quote unquote discussions are, are, you know, listening to podcasts and forums and listening to other people's opinions. Um, and now even, you know, trying to put our own, our own out there, I guess we're doing, doing that right now. It, in, in my mind, it's all a discussion. It's all a discussion about where things are going, how the world is changing. And in our particular generation, um, you know, Chris and I are, are both in our mid to late thirties. Our particular generation has been a very transitionary generation from the start. Um, uh, there was an article I read years ago that, that called us the Oregon trail generation because we grew up in a household that didn't have a computer, uh, in the house. But by the time we got out of the house, we, we did have, we did have one. So we're very comfortable with technology. Um, we're very uh, uh, knowledgeable with it, but yet we're we're not. We don't have our nose buried in our Instagram uh, profiles um, and things of that sort. The way many of you know the the millennials and and the younger generations are, and and it's this real micro generation. And, and our specific niche, that like mid to late thirties niche, and and even even into the forties, and possibly as low as young thirties that grew up in that time, we've seen just so much change over our career. Cause I, I really think we're in a phase, we're in a, we're in a phase change. I mean, if you, if you think about just the crazy things like Uber didn't exist a couple years ago, you know, the iPhone didn't exist uh, a couple decades ago, the computer didn't uh, exist. The personal computer didn't exist, uh, you know, a few decades ago. Uh, of, of a couple decades ago for us. I mean, there's just, there's just been huge change in the way we do things. Work has changed how, how we work, where we go for work. We're working. We could not have done this whole global pandemic, closed down, shut down, lockdown. What? 20 years ago, for sure. It wouldn't have happened. There's, there's no chance. There's, and part of it is just because the speed of information, I think, raised the hysteria. But you just look at the day-to-day -day life and in the way we're able to survive and get through the day now, pretty cushy, all things considered. But 20 years ago, let, let, let's say right before 9-11 or right around 9-11, even with the tech around, I think you were starting to see cell phones be somewhat ubiquitous. But this, this definitely wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have happened. No. I mean, it's such a modern concept. And all that change, I, I feel like, is, is very much accelerating. Um. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading um, an interesting book called The Price of Tomorrow. Um, the author's name slips my mind at the moment, but uh, it, it's, it's just about the speed of technology and, and growth. And so he points out, um, he, he, he points out the way, uh, you know, every 18 months, the computer, computing power doubles. I think it's, I think it, I want to say it's Moore's Law, but I'm not totally sure. Um, and so every 18 months, the computing power uh, doubles from all that's come up to that point 
do you realize what that means? That means in the next 18 months, all the computing power that we have accumulated up to this point is going to double again. That speed of technology advancement is, is just incredible. Incredible. And the world's changing so fast. Um, and a lot of it's just kind of difficult to keep up with. I just think of what that means for kids. It's, you just imagine from year to year the changes in technology and what that pace looks like. You know, when you're, I guess when you're four, five, six years old, your your brain has so much plasticity to it that, that you can keep up with those things. But that's a that's an interesting concept when you just think of the idea of stability versus world change and what that means to the developing mind. I, I, I don't know if that's good. I don't know if it's bad, but it's certainly interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good, good or bad. It just, I, th- I think all I'm really pointing out is it's just different. It's just different. And how do we see the world changing knowing that it's going to be different? Just looking back at the last 10 years and saying, how different are things today than they were 10 years ago? And then looking at the next 10 years and saying, in light of the last 10 years, past performance is not indicative of future returns, but in light of the last 10 years, do I expect the things in the next 10 years to be the same or different? It is interesting. I'm just thinking of that in the context. Um, well, right now I have CNBC on in my office, which I typically do during the day. And you know, we were just talking about even the volatility we saw today. You know, market was up, I think, 500 points or so, and then we looked 10 minutes later, and it was just about to go into negative territory for the day, and then bounced back up. And uh, recording this on Thursday, the I think it's the 23rd. So you know, th- this was driven because um, Gilead announced that their that their coronavirus drug actually flopped in its clinical trials. But it makes it so so much harder to be a long-term investor when the future is changing so rapidly. And you know, we we talked about this a little bit last week, but I'm I'm more of a Ben Graham disciple where I like to look at companies regardless of what's going on in the market and and all of that and just look at what is their what's their future cash flow look like and with their, with where they're trading now, are they on sale? Yes, no, okay. It's so much harder to understand if a company has a defensible position as it relates to their long-term cash flow, because the technologic or the technologic advancement you're talking about permeates to so many or to every company, regardless of what, whether it's a, a cutting-edge tech company or some entirely unsexy manufacturing company. The tech impacts that, and I don't know how you you predict that in the long term. That's a much harder thing to to really do and to understand what the long-term value looks like and you pair that with with a market that is just so emotionally volatile it's this this is going to be interesting to to see especially as it relates to corona here but even coming out of this the, the next few years investing in the in in equities is going to be a really interesting game and i'm not sure if there's a true formula for how to win it yeah yeah, that's right. I mean, even just think about how investing has changed, right? So with all the ETF and uh, products and volatility products and, you know, um, um, you, you know, all the, the, the way trading is done anymore and 
and um, the algorithmic trading and the like it's it's just it's changing it's changing relative relatively fast so so uh, the guys the author's name is jeff booth uh, uh the price of tomorrow it's a really great book uh at least so far uh, but he uses the example of uh, blockbuster and to your point chris blockbuster's defensible position at the time was their network of stores they have the largest network of rental stores uh to deliver uh and and that was their competitive advantage to deliver movies to to people with this with this network and it would be very difficult for somebody to replicate that uh, that network of stores and you know here comes here comes netflix uh at the time this uh you know with this tiny little subscriber base and they're mailing dvds to people um, and uh you know in the story that he tells uh they're I believe it was their CEO uh, wanted to launch a similar service because he knew that streaming was coming and could see how this was going to affect them. And they didn't want to do that because it eroded their core business. 10% uh, of their revenue came from late fees and they didn't want to, they didn't want to do that. So instead they launched um, uh, selling candies in the aisle. Oh, and, uh, well, 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 good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they started, they launched that and, uh, you know, it, it, uh, boosted their revenue initially. Uh, but then as we all know, the, the story in history, with the exception of, I think there's one, one blockbuster remaining like up in Northern Canada somewhere, um, they're gone. Uh, they no longer exist. And now you even see, um, you know, Netflix starting to be, um, starting to be impacted because they're our ability to consume content is is anymore so great when it's on demand that we watch you know we watch we watch more movies and with all of it at our fingertips in so many different places it's starting to become the actual content deliverers uh, that that are are taking power right so Disney just launched its own service and uh, that was the whole controversy that. Um, there uh, now they might get they've gotten netflix has gotten a little bit of a maybe a little longer runway in their uh, battle to to dominate but um with with coronavirus i, I heard they had they, they seem to have something like 23 million new subscribers or something like that I think uh, you, know, people... you definitely see Hulu doing that. Disney's hurting a little bit. Obviously, I think Disney just passed the fifty million mark on uh, on their Disney Plus subscriptions, and obviously they you know they got their bundle with Hulu and um, and ESPN Plus. But where I think Disney might be in a little bit of trouble, um, well, I guess they are, and the stocks reflect that. Is they have more exposure, obviously, to China, but with retail and um, their consumer products group and in their parks and resorts. You know, Netflix right now, from a just from a pure stock standpoint, is in a much better position. And, right. Uh, I think they're at like four thirty or something. You know, it's Carl Icahn's making a bloody fortune off them right now. But right. Yeah. So anyway, it's interesting. To your point, I mean, those those things that we think are our competitive advantage, um, um, they become our liabilities uh, as this world changes so quickly. Well, and we did the the blockbuster case when I was in business school, and it's you know it's a pretty famous business school case at this point. But you know something you and I talk about a lot every day is 
how do we kill our business? And you threw out the, the late fee example. We have, and I think every one of us probably sees this with different facets of our businesses, but there are parts of our business that hold us hostage. And we got to be willing to, to kind of be a little cavalier with them because if we don't kill our business, somebody else is going to. And, you know, Blockbuster, you know, to your point, famously, um, not only could have developed their own type of Netflix thing, which probably would have killed Netflix, but they could have bought Netflix for, and I'm making the number up, but at the time it was something like 40 million bucks or so, something absurd. I'm, I'm probably way off of that number, but it was way, way low, um, obviously relative to today. Whatever you're doing, whether and this is even an individual thing as well, but you got to find ways to figure out where you're vulnerable. And to, back to our earlier point about assessing risk, you know, reliance on late fees to what you okay, you're in the vet, video rental business and you're relying on late fees to support your business. Well, that's a vulnerability, and you need to assess that risk and figure out how you how you how you take that off the table. You know, simply saying, we're not going to change because we want to keep this in place. That is a first-class ticket to failure and outside disruption. Especially in this time with all, with all this change, um, you know, same, same story for Kodak, right? You all know that. Um, they uh, invented the di- digital camera. Yeah, they invented uh, it. And then, and then it became their demise uh, because it competed with their, their um, core business. Yeah, I, yeah I mean, it's just, it's just interesting. It's just interesting. It's important to, I think it's important to really sort of red team our own business in um, just recognizing, okay, how do I put myself out of business? Because if you can do that, then somebody else can too. And uh, if you can identify those opportunities before, for others, uh, having your own insights of your own business and understanding of the landscape um, you can you, you know you can you can put yourself in a position to to really evolve you know you and I were having a uh, conversation um, uh, about something similar to that I'm trying to recall Well, we only spend eight hours a day talking to each other. They can get lost yes, in the fray is, pretty easily. This is this is true. I've totally lost my train of thought. You'll have to cut that part out. Well, no, we're we're going authentic. Okay. You know, one thing though that that does stick out, um, and I'm not necessarily a big Jeff Bezos fan. I I certainly like the stock, and I'm I'm incredibly impressed with the company. But um, I have. I have a great deal of disdain for the culture at Amazon. I've I've worked with a lot of folks that came out of there and you know calling the culture at Amazon toxic is like calling Chernobyl a little bit of a hiccup. You know, it's it's not a an enjoyable place to work and I don't like the culture, but what Bezos famously said is that there aren't a lot of decisions that you can that you can't walk back. And when you're looking at different ways, you know, as we say to kill our business or whatever however you want to call it, there aren't a lot of things that you can't undo. And so when we talk about risk, I view a lot of times it being more risky to stay the way you are than to pursue something that fails. You know, I, th- I think no decision is far worse than the wrong decision in just about every case. Yeah, no, I would, I would totally agree. 
Yeah. I totally agree. I, especially if you can, if you can fail fast and small. Yeah. And actually there was, was a, a guy I knew a long time ago, he actually wrote a book called do it wrong quickly. And uh, it, was, it was a great idea. You know, there, there aren't these things that, that, that you can't undo. Now, one question I have for you switching gears here a little bit, you, know, you sent me a photo yesterday and you, you live in a, a relatively new home within a, I, when, when was your house finished? About a year ago? Maybe, maybe a year uh, and a half been, ago? Uh, it's been two and a half years. Oh, two and a half. Your our home is house. under attack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our ma- the main house was, we built two and a half years ago, and we just finished our guest house a little over a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my home is under attack. Yeah, so, so walk us through this photo you sent me and what's going on. So we planted some vines on uh, on the the exterior wall uh, of our bedroom. So our bedroom's in the back of the house. On the exterior wall, there's there's some vines that 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 climb up it. And this is not the first time that that it's happening that it's happened. I just find it funny. The vines somehow have have climbed underneath the stucco into our wall. And have grown out the baseboard. I think that's bad. Into your bedroom. Into my bedroom. In fact, into my bedroom so far that it was growing out the wall uh, past the nightstand. So, <laughs> so I have to go. I have to go out there and kind of grab the bottom of the vine and yank it out. Uh, I've had to do that twice now. But then, do you reseal it? Um, no, that probably needs to be done. I would, I would imagine, given gravity and water, that it may be worthwhile to do such a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. Well, the joys of owning a home. Yeah, you know, it's all dust and ashes in the end. That, that is a a valid point. I, I think for a lot of people this is a time to remind them of that. I, I think, you know, just in, in the, in the groups we hang out with, it's, that's a very common theme that people are saying right now. Just, you know, it, it's cool to have purpose and to pursue things and to try to build your business, but it also sort of doesn't matter. The time with your kids, the time with your family, that, that stuff matters. And that's why it's so hard to figure out what's, what things are going to look like once, once we start seeing restrictions lifted, because one, these layoffs aren't coming back, like we said last week. But two, I also think people's appetites and tastes aren't going to come back the same way. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, there was this band that I liked when I was a kid. Um, it was called Switchfoot. And there, uh, there's a lyric in this in, in a song that has just stuck with me forever. And it said, all our sandcastles spending time collapsing. And I think sometimes when we're so committed to continuance of the status quo, we miss the shifting sands of time. And 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 the sands do shift over time. I mean, you, you look at civilizations uh, over the millennia uh, in times past and 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 kingdoms rise and fall. We know this. Um, we, we know this happens. Nothing continues nothing continues forever. And, and I think we're, I think we're in one of those phases where there's this change coming 
And as soon as you start talking that way, everyone, everyone thinks, everyone thinks I'm back to my doomsday thing. Everyone thinks you're a doomsday when you're, <laughs> when you start talking that way. But the reality is, is if you just look at history, no, actually that's not a doomsday or that's normal. Um, all of this here is shifting sand. Um, and, uh, you know, our kingdoms rise and fall and, and, and it is what it is. And, and we all, we all live within, uh, uh, within it for a time. Um, and I think, you know, it's not something to be afraid of, but it is something to recognize and to say, how, how is the world changing? Yeah. And that's your point. It's, it happens. And I'm not saying you necessarily embrace it and say, yeah, 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 but it's going to happen. And so what, you know, it's, we're not, we're not going to stop these things from happening. And, you know, there are certain things that are timeless. And I think time with family and, you know, I know you're someone that, that likes the idea of, of freedom and just being able to be outside and be in, in remote places. Those are things that I, I have to imagine are going to start growing coming out of this. So. What I am wondering, though, is with being cooped up inside, at what point people start to go, a little bit nutso. Um, and, and I started alluding to this earlier when you, you were talking about managing risk. So we were at a park with our kids on Saturday. And I think I might've sent you a message when this happened. And it's well, like maybe like 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. And we're at a park. The guys are running around. I think they're playing basketball. And uh, some other people that are playing tennis and badminton and stuff. And some deranged dude just whips out a gun and starts waving it around at people. So crazy. It's so crazy. It was, it was the most bizarre thing. And I'm like, first of all, I'm wondering like, if, if people are, are a little, little deranged or, or some like, does, does this cooped up inside thing, is that going to start to exacerbate these things? Uh, maybe, maybe I'm totally off base with this, but that was, that was weird. But what was interesting to me is, so I, you know, my wife and I kind of got our guys and we didn't want to make a scene about getting out of there because you, you never know how anybody's going to react. So we get them over to, you know, on the other side of this building where, where everybody's effectively safe. And there's like four or five people that walk up as, as I'm on the phone with the police telling them some guy's waving a gun around and talking to himself and yelling. And like these people walk up and these are mostly retirees. You know, we, we live in Scottsdale where the average age is, you know, foot on the banana peel. And I, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm like, hey, you might want to hang here, not, not walk your dog into the park. I know there's a guy waving a gun around out there and talking to himself. It's probably not safe. And this guy looks at me, this guy's probably 65 years old, not in good shape. And he goes, oh, what's he wearing? I said, he's got khaki pants and a red shirt on. And he goes, okay, cool. I'm going to go take a look. Like, for what? For what? What could you possibly do? You're not John McClane and Die Hard. You're not going to save the world. <laughs> like, there's no Nakatomi Tower here. Like, what? What on earth could you possibly need to go do? And then, sure enough, somebody else walks up. You know, a husband and wife walk up with their dog, and I say the same thing, and they're like, "Oh, thanks," and they just proceed on their way into the park too. So crazy. What? Okay, I gotta ask. Am I off my rocker here? If someone says to me. And I would argue I'm probably a hair more capable in a situation like that than some of these elderly folks. But if someone says to you, hey, 
guy uh, guys in the park talking to himself and yelling and waving a gun around. There's just something in my head that says, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't go in there, Chris. I, maybe I'm yeah. weird. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I would think. I don't know. That's weird. It, but my question in all this is, is, well, first of all, I think it, part of it was people were so cooped up that they were like, I am not going to miss my chance to go to the park, which was a whole weird thing. But when you look at it, just let's say crime, are we going to start to see some of the stuff tick up because of what's going on in the world right now? Is, is it the type of thing where going back to to the runner this morning where there's just more opportunity for bad people like that? Uh, I, I just I don't know yeah. what the effect is going to be here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of those things that that is, you know, is probably a risk that that you take every precaution to hedge for without freaking yourself out. But I think that I, 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 I think that um, I mean, that guy clearly was probably on drugs or crazy or something um, it, it's kind of a fluke um, fluke thing. But um, I really think that that some of these transitionary things, you know, uh, you know, currency reserve reserve changes from one country to another, where one becomes dominant over the other, um, you know, market shutdowns, uh, bank holidays, like all these things. We think of these as scary things, uh, but they happen, sure. and and it doesn't mean the end of civilization by any means. And I think that's what some people get get hung up on sometimes they just assume uh oh i saw that movie and it ends this this way but then do people start acting crazy themselves what do you mean like i i don't i don't expect more people to go to the park and wave guns around for no no apparent (laughs) reason i i i think that's a fluke i'll just i'll just come out and say that i think i think that was a fluke well, so it's, you know, the funny, so that one, I, in my mind, I, at first I was like, that's just, that's a crazy guy being crazy. But when I, but then I was kind of thinking, I was like, well, you know, these people kind of inside, like if you're, if you're in a fragile mental state and people around you are very anxious, is that a potential trigger for people? Like, because people sense this stuff. So there's that. But I was thinking this morning, just in and, and this thing with the runner actually really bothered me because, well, one, you know, my wife will go out and go on runs by herself all the time. But people are outside so much more now because we all want to get outside. And, you know, especially here in Arizona, there's a lot of areas to run where, you know, even running through the middle of town, if you're running the canals, you know, if there are plenty of places there where somebody bad could do something like this. And, you know, if people aren't aware, and this woman was clearly not aware of what was going on, and, and the, the way it ended, it ended fine. I just kind of followed the guy, and I made sure that he knew I was there, and as soon as he saw me kind of following him, he just kind of looked at me and bugged out, and, and you know, one, you got to be incredibly aware, spe- especially if you're someone like that running, you know, t- take the ear pods out and, and pay attention to your surroundings, but I do fear that there are going to be more opportunities for things like that with, with people, and I, I think you know, if, if you're especially vulnerable like that, if you're a 25 year old girl out running with your AirPods in, you better make damn sure you know what's around you. Right. See now, now who's the doomsdayer? You're definitely the doomsdayer. You got me beat. You got me beat on that one. Oh, I don't have you beat on the doomsday thing. No. Do you know the number of times when we were dealing with the Corona thing? And admittedly, you were totally right. 
But the number of times you said to me, the world's about to change, the world's about to change, the world's about to change. Oh, and it did, right? You, you said it a thousand times. And, <laughs> and then eventually, eventually it became the world changed. The world changed. The world, yeah, the world, the world changed. We're going to look back at this. It's a defining moment. You know what I mean? This isn't going to be like the slowdown in, um, you know, 2014, whatever it was. We had a slowdown in um, 14. Exactly. You don't even remember. Neither do I. I don't remember. A this is 14. This, this is going to be a defining moment like 08. Well, Everybody in, in, remembers 08. We still talk about where we were during the downturn, during the great financial crisis. It was a defining moment. We still remember where we were for 9-11. That was a defining moment. Culture and life changes during those points um, very rapidly. Uh, if you think about it, like prior to the downturn in 08, what was the trend for most people? Well, it was got to buy a house, got to buy a house. Hopefully I can buy multiple houses because that's how I create wealth. Buy lots of lots of homes further and further out, further and further out, sprawling across, you know, in Phoenix is, is where we live is is sort of the worst for that. Right. So people were driving um, from way out. Uh, and various parts of the valley and moving further and further away um, for, you know, uh, I forget who, some, there was a, somebody who referenced uh, drive till you qualify <laughs> as the, the concept that, oh uh, that was uh, alive during that time, right? But then when everything crashed, the world changed at that point. And it was no longer drive to be qualified, but it was urban infill. We all want to be a part of the city, part of the community. We don't want these, these shiny new golf course amenities in the middle of nowhere. I'd rather have, you know, the local bar down the street and the cool new climbing gym, uh, you know, that they just put in and, um, you know, the new restaurant that's on the corner. Those are my amenities. And, and you saw a change in the way people uh, lived and what was desirable. You saw prices in the city rise, right? People want to move into the city. You saw, you saw quote unquote cities like Phoenix, that's, that's actually just a giant suburb, that started to develop small pockets that were city-like. You know, the, even the architecture started to change to look more city-like with the buildings closer to the street frontage. Uh, rather than further off the street frontage uh, the way they were before the downturn uh, uh, to look like there was more space, right? They were right on the, right on the, the curb, the new development was right on the, right on the street um, so that, so that it felt denser and more walkable and things of that sort. Life changed during that time. Uh, I think about back to, to 9-11 when, when the world changed at that time, you know, most of the world was, was, you know, very, very independent and isolated. And we started to see this trend toward community, you know, where people, people wanted to be, be in community and have deeper relationships. And, you know, there's, so, so culture changes during, during these times, it changes during all times, but, but it's especially highlighted during these times. And so I think through things lately like how is the world going to change from this point forward how's the world going to look different are you know 
remote work has been a privilege up to this point. It's been something that's been uh, a little bit out of reach for for some, although we know it's possible. How do I how do I work from home? You know, we knew it was a desirable thing. This may be one of those defining moments where we start working from home almost permanently in the majority uh, for those that can. Maybe I'm not I'm not saying that is the case. I'm just saying that could be a possibility. You know, do people still want to move into infill places in the city or do we see more of a, a do we socially distance our real estate? Do we do we again begin valuing more space around us? I, I don't know. But but what I do know is the world changed. And the question is, how has the world changed during this process? I do think we for most of us, we're looking at at the wrong waypoint for this. Because this has been such a financial thing, um, you know, you shut down business, we see what happened to the to, to the markets and everything. It's, it's become financial for a lot of people. But I actually think that 08 is not the right way to compare this. I, I think this is more of a 9-11 type event. Because you look at the way the world changed from 9-11. The world didn't inherently change from 08. It was just something that you sort of battled back on to get back to business as usual, which is what happened. Um, you know, outside of may- maybe some, some, some laws as it relates to mortgages, not a lot really changed because of 08 when you look four or five years in the future. But with 9-11, well, we changed. I might... Yeah, no, culturally, certainly, uh, although I might push back on the 9-11 thing, because think about the investment trends, right? How many people wanted to buy a home before 08 and wanted to buy a second home? And, you know, the, the local dentist is investing in real estate at the time and all that stuff is. Uh, so so from that perspective of how we build wealth changed, like, you, at least I noticed high, uh, higher uh, higher um, pop- popularity of, you know, indexed investing, uh, passive investing, the fire movement. What does freedom look like anymore? You know, the tiny homes, the minimalists, the, um, uh, you know, the permanent travel uh, bloggers that are that are living this life of freedom. Prior to 08, the American dream was a house with a picket fence. After OE, it started to evolve into more of, you know, actually, I think I, I, I take a smaller house in, in order to have more freedom, more travel, more comfort. Um, and so that, that's, that's what I mean by that. That moment for me was, was very distinctual. The, the recession in 08 was really just a liquidity. Um, it was kind of a liquidity thing, a liquidity trap. Yeah, and, that, and that's a fair point. So and I probably should qualify that. So I think you know, in terms of inward type things, which how we, in terms of how we handle ourselves individually, yeah, 08 probably I think changed a lot of people. But I'm, I'm thinking more of the systemic type stuff, the, the cultural type stuff, the government type stuff, you know, obviously. Right. Do you, do you remember what it was like to fly before 9-11? Not right. like it is now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coming in hot 15 minutes before the flight. It, let's, let's be honest, though, you still do that. Um, well, I'm, I'm coming in hot 15 minutes before the boarding time because they won't let you through the gate if you're not, if you're not there in enough time. But I do come in hot, that's for sure. You and I were flying somewhere last year or something. 
And we were on Southwest. And I remember we were on Southwest because you were chirping at me for the better part of a week before the flight. Oh, Southwest Airlines? Yeah, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> and I was I was in in the in the A boarding group and we're getting ready to uh to, to start going on the plane. And I'm in line and they're about to call the boarding group and then I'm looking at her, I'm like, we got no Tim. This is this is gonna be interesting. Like, there's no way he's getting through security and getting here at this point. And uh you roll and luckily our boarding was delayed for about a half hour and you ended up cruising in probably I don't without that delay, I'm not sure you would have made the flight. But <laughs> you uh you sometimes will will take some liberties with the good old TSA. You know. I, I internationally one time, uh so I do have TSA pre-check, uh, but I don't have uh, what's the international one? Global entry. Yes. And uh I was coming back from Canada. I forget which city I was in. And uh, I did have to sweet talk the uh, the lady in the global entry line to let me go through that line because I was so late for my international flight. Um, so there there have been times where I've been a little nervous I wasn't going to make it, but uh, I've never. Let's see. Yeah, I want to say I've never actually missed a flight. Well, I guess that's a that's a good track record. <laughs> Although yeah. It was a little I've, cut it, I've, cut, I've cut it very close for sure for sure the funny thing is nobody even knows what their next trip is gonna be here you know we go from in between you and me one of us is probably gone or somewhere every single week i have you know if i if i log into any of my airlines right now i do not have a trip booked right yeah i i mean this was supposed to be an incredibly busy travel season for me and instead i'm recording these podcasts with you Man, that sucks. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. Have you guys even given any thought if you're going to leave for the summer? Um, we're thinking we're thinking we might just do maybe a road trip, um, go see some national parks or something. Are you going to rooftop yeah. tent it? Um, you know, my wife is is not as uh, comfortable uh, in tent as I am. Um, so we're actually talking about getting maybe a little RV or something. Um, so we'll see. I, none of it, I haven't really made up my mind yet. Um, what I do know is I don't like being hot and it is very hot in Phoenix and I don't want to be stuck here. Um, but I, we usually go to California for the summer and I don't necessarily want to go to California either, um, during this time. But you'll be in Tahoe though. Like Tahoe doesn't count as California. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's um it's a little bit uh, a little bit. Of, I mean, it, it does count for, as California. And so, so here's why, especially well, during legally. coronavirus, especially during coronavirus. So so Tahoe is like the playground for the Bay Area, and the Bay Area was hit very hard by all this. Okay, I, I guess they, I guess that's a good. They point all went when you to Tahoe. Yeah, that's a good so one. no offense to all my friends in Tahoe, but I'm very reluctant to want to come see you all. Well, good thing you own a car wash in Tahoe. I know. I know. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? Probably a bad person. I, just, I, just, bad I don't person. know how but these airlines are going to bounce back, though. It, yeah, but, you know, it, and, how, and how much do we fly anymore? Are we going to fly? Like, is that going to be another way that the world changes? I think we are going to fly. But, like, are we going to ask the question more frequently? 
well, could this just be a Zoom meeting or a, you know, a, a, a video conference rather than I get on a plane, I spend half a day traveling to the East Coast, meet with somebody for an hour, I get back on a plane, spend half a day traveling back home. Doesn't seem all that productive. So there might be, there might be a situation where, where that changes uh, over time. I, I, I just don't know. I think there's a lot of those things that are, that are up in the air along with, um, uh, you know, the, the convenience of, have you been to a, um, a store lately where you can um, send, some of my friends have told me about this, like a, uh, I think Home Depot is doing this. You can send them your order uh, online and then you drive up, you park, you tell them which spot you're parked in uh, when you get there and they bring it out, out to you and put it in your truck. Yeah, it's Home Depot, I don't think it's done a very, very good job executing on that, but they're doing, I'm at Home Depot like three times a day. Um, think about think about the dynamic of that convenience to where and, and think about what that does to real estate, which I, I'm pr probably primarily a real estate investor. And 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 and, and that dynamic to me, uh, you know, we're even um, our, our country club, we can order food online from their restaurant. Actually, it was super convenient. I pull up and they put my food in the back of my car. I don't even get out. I don't get out of my car. I do nothing. How convenient is that? And how much more of what we buy at say a grocery store, a hardware store, the auto parts store, anything like that, how much easier would that be to get something rather than go into a store, search the aisles, find the item you're looking for, go check out, the item. If you think about all the inefficiencies that could be that could be had from that, you don't need as expensive real estate. You don't need prime frontage real estate for that. You're probably more of a uh, a virtual storefront where people know, okay, you can go to this industrial building in this place and pull in and they'll put your things in your car. You don't need to spend all the money um, stocking the shelves and facing the shelves and making the product appear appear nice on your shelves. It's really just a warehouse that, that you need. You don't need all the employees who are cleaning the stores, um, checking people out, all those things, all that, all that could potentially be happen, uh, handled online or on an app. Um, and it's way more convenient. And talk about a great way to compete with, with um, you know, Amazon, like anything that I can wait for, I can order on Amazon. But if I can't wait for it, it's kind of a pain in the neck to go. Right? I got to go to this store, go to that store. So does some store, does some, does some Walmart-like concept come with a, with a giant warehouse that says you can get all your groceries, you can get all your hardware, you can get all your auto parts, you can get all your this, all your that, all in this one place, you go online, Check, 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 check. Okay, go to that store. They put it in your vehicle. You get it immediately. You you leave. That's so much more convenient. I think, well, in that regard, for those types of things, I do think you're going to continue to see Amazon play a bigger place. And even whether it's Walmart, Home Depot, whoever, companies that, that might be putting um, these, you know, in-car pickup or, or whatever, these curbside pickup uh, tools into place, 
I think Amazon's still gonna gonna take a hurt or a hit at them or a run at them, I should say, and, and erode them a little bit. But I do think there's an experiential component to retail as well, and there are certain stores. Um, one, yes. co- believe it or not, Costco is actually one of them, just because they they have so many products one day and then the next week they don't have it. But REI, Williams Sonoma, stores like that that are that are high in the experience, I think, are still going to be okay and rely on that experience to be good. But there's certainly an element of it. You know, even at Home Depot, though, I I hate to say, like, I love wandering around Home Depot, and I'm a little burned that Home Depot's reduced their hours. By the way. I don't know what reducing your hours during an epidemic really accomplishes. In fact, wouldn't that say that more people are in the store at a given time then and you increase the chance of exposure? That that annoys me to no end. Simply because I love nothing more than when my kids go to sleep at night. I go to Home Depot and I wander around there looking at power tools. I'm pretty sure we were just our store hours, didn't we? Um, well, we adjusted them because we were g- coming into the summer months. Um, and so this all coincided with that. But, you know, there are two things I don't understand. With this. I don't understand why you get stores like Home Depot that say, well, because of this and to protect everybody, we're reducing our store hours. Well, that, that like I said, that to me means you're going to have more people in the stores. The other thing I don't understand is why we have stores that are putting in senior citizen only hours. Okay, I, This baffles me. And, and I've talked to a lot of doctors as well. And they say, well, this baffles me too. If you have a portion of the population that is at risk, and that is truly susceptible to this, then why on earth are we encouraging them to come out of the house and go into stores and to do it together? This makes no sense to me. That is a little odd. That is a little odd, but I guess what they're trying to do is keep the unsusceptible people out that could be carriers. I don't know. I, but couldn't? That's interesting. So are, are have there been any cases, I don't know this, have there been any cases of of elderly individuals who are carriers and don't know it, no symptoms. I, I gotta imagine there is. I have. Well, you look at the way this thing works through nursing homes. I imagine there are some people there that that have probably carried it and didn't know it. So, I mean, the same thing's probably true. You look at Arizona, for instance. You know, you you've got grandma and grandpa here. And I'm guessing their grandkids are swinging by, or maybe their kids are swinging by to to bring them something or to check on them. Okay, well, if one of those people has it, yeah, I'm sure these people are definitely carrying it. I I don't think the if the ability to carry it is is altered by age. So wh- whether you're 80 years old or whether you're 40 years old, you can carry it and infect somebody just the same, I'd imagine. So it's just encouraging them to get out of the house. It's the, my what's really really bothering me is when I look at something like that, I feel like it's it's because of this outrage culture that we live in, and these stores are just scrambling to do things, whether or not they make sense, just to say, look, we're doing this. Please don't be outraged at us. Don't protest us. Don't have a giant social media campaign shaming us for this or that. You know, So many of these things I look around and I see just don't make logical sense because they're emotional decisions. And as you know, I am completely terrified of emotion because I think emotion clouds <laughs> judgment. And it, it, it's driving me nuts that... You know, every single website you go on, it's, you know, like I, I looked up to see if, if uh, there, there's an eyeglass repair store. I had to see if they, if they were open still. And they've got a big fly up on their site with, I bet you're wondering what our response to COVID-19. No, I don't care about your response to COVID-19. All I want to know is if you're open and you can fix my wife's glasses. 
You know, but <laughs> but because we don't want to be outraged, or we don't want to be the people that everyone's going to say, "Oh, you just want people to die because you didn't respond to COVID." Everybody's got to have a response to COVID. No, we don't need a response. We don't need your opinion. You know, the the entire axis of the world is not dependent on my opinion and what I tweet out, nor is it dependent on anybody else's for that matter, unless you're one of a few politicians. You don't right. need to respond to everything. Right. Jeez, I'm going to have a stroke. <laughs> I forgot what topic we're even on. Lunacy, that's what we're talking about, and it starts with me. That's right. Hey, yeah. do you know anything about gold, like physical gold? Um, other other than watching the ticker price on it, no. Why? Like like storing it or obtaining it or what? No, I'm just wondering. Like, um, like how do you know it's real? I've been I've been researching that. Best I can come up with is like you get a magnet and it doesn't. No, it's not magnetic. That's a good question. I I don't know. I I would take it to a jeweler. That's the only thing I. That's. That's all I would what's, I mean, what's, what's crazy is like the, the, uh, you know, the, the spot price, the spot price of gold right now is like 17, 1800 bucks, something like that. Oh, is it that high? Oh yeah. It's, it's shot way up. Um, there's, there's like shortages of it. Uh, it's 1745, uh, right now. But, but if I want to go online, I want to go online and buy a gold coin. Um, uh, let's see, nineteen hundred dollars for a one ounce Canadian maple leaf. So the spread to spots like one hundred and sixty six dollars. Here's what I don't get about gold. Okay, so I understand if you're buying metals, just you know, chasing, chasing return or profits, like when you're, you know, with market fluctuations or depressions or whatever, like I get that. And here's, I'm sure there's a reason for this and I just don't know it, but I don't understand why the, the doomsday preppers go and buy a bunch of gold and, and silver, you know, because if it's like, oh, well, you know, if the world ends, you know, and the dollars collapse, but if the world ends and there's chaos in the streets, I don't really see gold and silver having value. I see actual things that people need having value. So t- toilet yeah. paper, again, like toilet paper or cigarettes or milk or meat or bullets, like things people need are going to have value. I don't see someone saying, oh, my gosh, that guy's got all the gold. Therefore, he has all the power. I don't think it works that way. Um, yeah, no, sure. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a store of value. I really think it's a vote of no confidence in uh you know the monetary regime sure um in in my mind and and whether it goes to um you know whatever gold or some other transition it's your ability to exchange it the the difference between gold and everything else from what i read um and i'm just starting to get into it but is that an ounce of gold today is the same as an ounce of gold a thousand years ago because of the um, because of the physical properties of it. It doesn't degrade over time, whereas you know uh, bullets you could certainly trade in bullets, uh, but over time uh, they would they would rust or go bad. Uh, 
you would know that better than I would. So but it's I'm, the durability sure. of gold that makes it's it the, special. It's the durability. Well, so 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 money has various properties. Like it's divisibility, it's durability, it's store of value. Um, you know, some of it is 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 uh, acceptance as means of exchange. It's really just it's gold becomes a store of value. I mean, that's that's the same argument for. Uh, both the th- the thing that I think about gold and frankly Bitcoin for that matter, they're both avoided a vote of no confidence. Um, in 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 the current system. Did you buy Bitcoin? I don't I don't know enough about cryptocurrencies to ever have an opinion. And when I try to research, I'm like, oh, whatever. I've I've bought Bit, uh, Bitcoin in the past. I bought it at like three thousand dollars and sold it at fifteen thousand dollars when it when it ran up. Uh, uh, I've recently bought a bit more uh, for various reasons. So, so there's this concept in uh, both uh, silver, gold, you know, those kind of things that's called the stock to flow. Like how much stock is there in the world uh, and how much is more of it is created each year. And those things create a ratio. So the stock to flow ratio of gold is like is like over sixty, which means that of all the gold that there is in the world, it would take sixty years of the current production to replace the existing supply. That create when it's when something is a store of value in that way, that creates stability to the market because you could double the supply. Uh, to continue to production and it wouldn't really change the stock all that much when it takes 60 years to replace. Um, whereas, uh, uh, you know, something like, uh, uh, you know, silver has like a 20 year stock to flow, uh, ratio. Uh, well, well, Bitcoin, if you take the stock to flow ratio, there's this, um, there's this guy on on Twitter that's been really interesting lately. He operates under the handle Plan B, but he's he's got this whole theory, thesis on the stock to flow ratio of and and I don't totally understand it, but the stock to but the stock to flow ratio of Bitcoin during the next halving is is gonna uh, match that of gold, um, which basically means that the cost of production goes up uh, substantially. So what happens with Bitcoin is every 210,000 coins that are quote unquote mined in settling transactions, the award for settling those transactions gets cut in half. And there's a there's a halving that's supposed to happen next month. And so I've, I've bought enough to basically be a lottery ticket. Um, you know, this guy seems to think that it's going from where it is now to $55,000. Well, you sent me so that message. I wasn't sure if you'd run a model on that or if you'd seen someone say that or what, what the thought was there. The stock to flow? Uh, well, just on the, yeah. on the long-term upside of it. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting. But again, I think both gold and Bitcoin, the real value of them is is in their vote of no confidence in a system. So like Bitcoin got, became really popular in um, Venezuela uh, recently, because they're going through massive hyperinflation. 
well, how do you get yourself? How do you, how do you deal with the fact that you get paid today and tomorrow it's worth half? Well, you come up with some other option, right? You convert it to gold that you know somebody else might buy. You convert it to Bitcoin. There's a lot of people that are converting their assets to Bitcoin. Um, and so as this chaos, it, it's again, I'm hedging stuff, right? So I've got plenty of upside uh, uh, exposure um, in just by the nature of what we do in our primary business. But, uh, you know, I look at if there's chaos around the world where, well, what, what's going to come into demand? And it's a speculation for sure. Gold, Bitcoin, silver, like people will buy these things in order to, to preserve their, their, you know, spending power. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in every chart that you look at around the world, I mean, in what we're going through something that's totally unprecedented. I was reading something the other day that was talking about during the Great Recession, GDP declined 5.3% from peak to trough. Uh, you know, and you saw the market sell off the way it did. I want to say it was around 30% um, during 2008. And it took us however many years to recover. Well, in this in this situation, and who knows, this one's of course different, uh, but that's a dangerous phrase. You know, they're talking about GDP declines when they get reported for Q2 to be in the 35% range, yeah. 25% range. That's massive oh, yeah. in one quarter, right? So let alone across the whole recession. That's also why I don't so, think we can trust the market. Right now. We, we haven't even seen the real numbers come in for this thing yet. Right. You know, we're, we're seeing movement in stocks based on people reporting earnings. You know, even in the last week, you know, I've had a couple companies report earnings. Well, okay. They had, they had two and a half months of business as usual here in these earnings. That's nothing to base anything off of right now. The next quarter is going to be interesting. May, when we see May rents or June rents, those things are going to be interesting. We're still on the front end of this thing when it comes to the broader economic impact. And, you know, you see the market, you know, the market's been up substantially since, since the low after that initial sell-off. But I don't have any confidence in that. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I think it hits right around 3,000 and then retests the lows. But, you know, I don't have a lot of exposure to that anyway. Um, it just, I, 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 I don't see how anyone actually does a real fundamental analysis of any asset right now. It's very difficult unless they've already reported and they've been spectacular. It, well, or if you know somebody, you, you know, if you're looking at, let's say, Netflix or Domino's Pizza, you know, the, the in-home type stuff. Okay. You probably have a little bit more to go off of there because there's, there's, you know, a little less downside and probably a little more upside with some of these cultural shifts. But whether it's retail stocks or anything, I don't. I don't yeah, know. But broad market, yeah, but broad market exposure, I think. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not. I'm not much of a stock investor i've got some retirement funds in that mostly real estate guy but i mean i look at i look at um, you know there was this really interesting chart that uh, someone put put up uh someone i follow on twitter uh, hedge eye uh, households with no emergency savings by age and the numbers are just massive the total with no emergency savings at all is 53 percent and that's across all ages? Across all ages. Jeez. I, 
that's that's just terrifying. I, I mean, there was another there was another um chart that i found incredibly interesting that um i can't pull it up right now that, that basically shows uh american savings by by quantities thousand one to five five to five to ten ten fifteen twenty to four, twenty to fifty um or i'm sorry ten to twenty twenty to fifty and fifty plus and it's somewhere around 45 percent uh, of american households have zero another 24 percent have less than a thousand dollars which means something like 69 percent of households have less than a thousand dollars and 27 million people just lost their jobs in the last four weeks how does that play out and we haven't even seen the impact of it yet right That's I am also curious, and I'm thinking of this just because I just saw a, an ad for a new movie release, but this has to be the death of movie theaters, right? Right, yeah. How does how does the world change? How does the world change? Um, do people don't go to the movie theater anymore? I mean, there was that whole story about that Trolls movie that just came out. My kids watched it. I haven't seen it yet. There's a Trolls movie? Where there's a Trolls cartoon. I believe it's a cartoon that um geez, I forget who even who even made it. Normally they'd release to movie theaters and movie theaters get like a three month exclusive. Um, right. So you gotta go you gotta go to the movie theater to see the like the latest movies. Well, they just because of where we're at right now, they just released it direct to consumers, twenty bucks. I and so we it's gotta we be a better model, right? Oh heck, I'd I'd rather pay twenty bucks and and you know, especially with uh, you know it used to be that like sound quality, picture, all that stuff was so much better in the movie theaters. Not anymore. There's only like, one the reason changed. to go to the movie theaters. It's because you can get eight thousand calories worth of buttery popcorn. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, really is the right. only reason to go because you know we, we've we've got TVs the size of our houses you know and you you tease me for for the TV that I put up there but it was worth every penny. But it's it, not it's not the size of your TV. It's the fact that you have is it three TVs in one room? Well, assuming college football comes back, that is very okay. nice. And okay, wait, here's the deal. Okay, what happens if the Blackhawks and the Badgers are on at the same time? What am I supposed to do then? That's troublesome. I know the, very, these, very, these very, are very real issues, um, but it's okay. So you know you got movie theaters. Okay, we had you had screen and sound quality historically. Okay, that's gone. That doesn't matter anymore because of your earlier point about the speed of technologic advancement. You know, surround sound, Sonos. Yeah, do you remember I mean, what a flat screen TV used to cost four thousand dollars? Oh yeah, okay. I yeah. Had, I don't think I don't think I've paid a thousand dollars for for a TV in, in a long time. And they're huge. They're like 50 some odd 60 inch TVs. That TV that, that you're teasing me about is it's either 75 or 80 inches and I paid $670 for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cheap. That, well, that is, I remember you couldn't get a 40 screen or a 40 inch flat screen for less than like $2,000 in 2008. That was a big deal. That it's, it's absurd. But so picture and sound quality are out. Okay. Then they said, oh, but look, now we've got these recliners. You know where else there are recliners? At home. My living room. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> That's out. 
Okay. <laughs> you know Actually, what? It, I don't. I don't have a recliner, but I do have a comfortable couch. Well, it, I do need a recliner. You know, those things have sort of gone out as as generations have kind of phased out, so to speak. But I think I'm going to become a recliner guy. I'm going to bring that back. <laughs> okay. But you know, okay. the only thing left for the movie theater, because now you can't. It's not a. It's not a social thing anymore because you know we can't shake hands. We can't be in the same room with people. They might sneeze. They might look at us weird. Um, you know, it all kind of, you know, whether it's pandemic or whatever else, you know, this, the distancing thing is going to stick around. And so that's gone. Okay. Well, now it's the smell of popcorn. That's basically all there is. You know, I, I, I compare this though to, to live sports, let's say, I do think live sports are going to come back for two reasons. One, I think a big part of that population doesn't care about a pandemic, but live sports, well, with live sports, the crowd plays such a role that I think it's fundamentally different than going to a movie. Right. The crowd yeah, doesn't play a role energy. in the outcome of a movie. The energy in life. Nobody, nobody tells the person behind them in a live sporting event. <laughs> trying to hear. Except maybe in I was going to say no one turns around and high fives during a movie. But <laughs> I, I, there are probably four or five times, you know, if I'm watching Die Hard or something with my wife when I'm trying to get a high five from her. She doesn't give them to me, but I'd turn around in a movie theater. Like, <laughs> you know, like the end of Die Hard 2 when John McClane blows up the plane, you know, so that his wife's plane can follow the uh, the gas trail and land. I'd be high-fiving everybody in the movie theater if that happened, but they also don't make movies like that anymore. So, Right. One of, the things I'm con- one of the things I'm concerned about, and, and we've sort of talked about this a little bit, is, is given the way the world's going to change, like, like what you're saying, are we going to go to the movie theater anymore? We're propping up all these all these companies. Determine this is an old business model that shouldn't that was going out of business and 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 the world has changed and doesn't need to be supported. And this one's not. Yeah. I mean, you run into this whole centrally planned issue. At some point, you got to let the market win. Well, and you, you look at another company or another industry that it's a little different, though, because, you know, the movie theater industry has been under under siege for a little bit now, and everybody's sort of been you know, rightfully predicting its demise. But cable companies are interesting right now. Um, I went to um, tweak my, my internet subscription the other day, and we, we don't have cable. And I was curious. I'm like, what does cable even cost? You know, because we have, we have you know, a bunch of different streaming services and all that. But so... I can get gigabit internet at my house for $100 a month. It's pretty good. It was going to cost another $150 to get just a regular cable package for TV with it. I'm like, okay. Yeah, so, that has never made sense to me. Well, I at this point, I one, I'm surprised that they're not charging more for internet purely because of the reliance on streaming services. Um, but I don't understand why why the cost of cable continues to jack up unless it's... Well, unless it's just a pass-along cost, because the cable companies have to pay, um, have to pay the networks, you know, a, a subscriber fee, and obviously the, you know, ESPN or whoever it is. I think ESPN is the largest per subscriber fee. Well, they have to jack that up because they have fewer subscribers, so then that goes up, and it's, I don't know. The the whole thing is, is perplexing, but I can't imagine how much longer we see cable, and you know, Directv is probably only a long be around still because it has the Sunday ticket for, for the NFL. I'm really surprised the NFL's put all their eggs in that basket, but you know, 
you look at the way streaming services have largely changed the cable company's power, you know, because before, you know, all the all these networks and channels had to play nice with the cable companies to get them on TV. Well, now they're like, screw it, come log into our website and you can watch us and pay us a few shekels a month. Problem solved. Right. And once, so here's here's the the way the world's changing too. Like once this whole five G thing comes out, do you even need a cable subscription, or yeah. will all of our products just be connected via cellular network? Well, that's a whole other slew of issues. I don't. You know, obviously, nobody's terribly thrilled with the radiation or whatever the the waves or who who knows what the doomsdayers say about. That. I don't know if any of that's true, but. Sure, but my my money's on they're going to figure that out. I mean, are we going to get to the point where we effectively have gigabit speed data um, or what, whatever, you know, wireless everywhere we're at, so we don't even need... You know, I, I think of it this way. You know, you think like when you got out of college and you got your apartment, like, you know, you move every year when, when you're right out of college, you know, because you sign a year lease or whatever, but every time you move into a place, there were like four or five things you had to do. You had to set up your internet, you had to set up your cable, you had to set up a phone, you know. Things like that, most of those things don't even exist anymore. You know, you know, when we bought our house, all we had to do was basically set up internet. There's nothing else that really was, was like the things that you had to do just in order to maintain connection with the outside world or whatever. It's these things are becoming eradicated, and you know, you almost wonder if internet's even next. To your point, right, right. Well, and, and um, I think, but I think that's kind of this guy's point in that book that I was talking about, the price of tomorrow, is it's it's all a race to zero. It definitely is. You know, everything just gets everything just gets included. I'm I'm watching uh yeah CNBC right now is talking about how the the NFL draft tonight is virtual. You know. And, the, the draft has started this thing where they move towns every year. So I think it was in Chicago when we lived there. And I think it was going to be in Vegas maybe this week. And it was a big spectacle. So they're going to have this thing online or, or virtually. You know, what we haven't prepared ourselves for are these things like, what if it's better? You know, what if we're, we've been forced to do these things that we're begrudgingly doing and then we find out it's a better experience? It, there, there's got to be a little bit of optimism just in the sense that you know, even going back to your point about air travel, okay? You think of the cost of a day to go to your, I think you use the example of flying to the East Coast and back. Right. For a half hour meeting. And a lot of these times, well, you know, for like when you think of a meeting, like when you come out and you say, that was a good meeting, I probably have like a 20% success rate where I think, oh, that was a good meeting. But I'm burning eight hours. So now we got people, and, and our buddy Deacon was saying this the other day just about how much more productive he is and how he does more in less time because he's focused on his family and all that with this thing. I think people are going to think twice about that eight-hour trip because right. you know, I'm not going to miss my son's baseball game or miss my daughter's recital or even, even a mundane thing, like miss the chance to pick them up at school and spend eight hours on a plane you know, taking my shoes off and cramped in there like a sardine you know, for a very low-likelihood meeting for, to what end? Why, why are we going to do all this? The, the nature of air travel is going to have to change dramatically. And what's funny is they've, they've put so much focus on cramping people into planes or cramming them into planes. Now that we have social distancing, like, are we taking back air travel? Is this our Alamo moment? 
I don't know. I don't know, but I think all these things are are important to think through and to watch. Um, you know, just in terms of of how life's going to change. The only thing that's certain is is, is it is going to change. It is, and it's a scary time. But I think if you to your point, if you look at assessing the risk and you look at the upside the right way, there's definitely some cause for optimism. It's going to be different, but if you think about it, you can probably capitalize on it somehow. Sure. I think the question is not, will there be opportunity or demise? I think the question is, where is the opportunity? Yeah, there always will be, because whether or not we care to admit it, life is going on, and that means we need to adapt and figure it out. So. Right. All right, I think that's a good spot to end. He is Timothy Barrett on Instagram. Are you Tim or Timothy Barrett on LinkedIn? Um, you know, I got to get this straightened up if I'm if I'm really giving this out. Uh, I I don't even know. I think I'm I think I'm Tim Barrett on uh, I'm Tim Barrett on uh, LinkedIn. I think you are as well. Yeah. I'm- and then I'm Tim Barrett DM on Twitter. Oh, I like that. I'm Chris Book on Twitter. Rarely use Twitter anymore. Uh, really, I just use it to post articles, so I know where they are when I want to go find them later. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, it works. Uh, Chris, Book, I really like. I really like Twitter. I really like Twitter. I think it's having a resurgence. I think it's coming back. I don't think they'll ever figure out how to make money off the thing, but just as a usable product itself, it's still very, very good. Oh, it's great. I mean, I love being able to read an article that somebody that I enjoy following um, shares and then to be able to see the conversation that people have. It's great. It's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, I'm Chris Book on LinkedIn, Mr. Chris Book on Instagram. Love to hear from you guys. We will uh, be back soon. Yeah, see you guys.